0: Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know,
1: that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shana Connors. With humble hearts,
0: And open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten.
1: Welcome to the Time of the Feminine Podcast.
0: Amelia, welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine Podcast. I am here with a very special guest today, Anne-Marie Chaumont. She is a doctor, a practitioner and thought leader in decolonizing holistic approaches to health and well-being. She holds a PhD in stress research focused on the intergenerational impact of stressors on women and children in marginalized contexts. As a mentor, teacher, physician, and community engagement practitioner, she's over 20 years working alongside some of the most marginalized populations across five continents. She co-founded an organization called Buena Semilla, together with indigenous Mayan women of Guatemala, with whom she's been working with for over 12 years. It's a grassroots organization widely recognized for its innovation within the field of women's empowerment, participatory community mental health, and collective healing as a vehicle for transformative change. And I must say that I have personal experience with Benesemia. I got the opportunity to go last year to Guatemala and to sit in circle with these women. So Anne-Marie, it is such an honor to have you on the Time of the Feminine podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: And also, I know Anne-Marie because she was in our circle initiation course. She participated in Global Sisterhood's first ever sisterhood circle training. And so that was at the beginning of 2020. And since then, we've got to form a lovely relationship. And i have gotten to witness all the beautiful work she's doing in the world. And so, Anne-Marie, I would love to ask you, to share with our audience about this vision that you have, the reason you do this work, the reason you work with marginalized communities in the South and to just share more about that.
2: Great. So, yeah, I've always been been drawn to working in the Global South. Before I even knew how to put words on it, I just kept getting pulled there. And whenever I had a, a chance to go down to the Global South, I would <laughs> escape from my my schools. My, I just was really drawn there. And I always knew that it was because I was interested in hearing the voices of the people in the South, that there was medicine there for me, and that we really needed to listen, or I really needed to be hearing their voices. And it's hard to put into words, but that's what kept pulling me there, that somehow there was something missing. And since then, I've just, uh, in all the just amazing opportunities I've had to work with just mostly women uh, in the South, I've really come to believe that their voices must be heard and are necessary in our world. And I, you know, growing up North, you grew up with all these notions of what was, we used to call it the developed countries and the developing countries. And, you know, we always think of it of the, the, you know, the countries with power and the countries without power and with resources and those that don't have resources. And the countries that have knowledge and those that don't have knowledge and I grew up thinking you know I had I was going to always go and help the south <laughs> and I kept going there with that intention and little by little I I had my whole whole inner paradigm was turned upside down as I realized that it was actually I who had the learning to do and that's what was pulling me down there and so this this kind of concept of North and South, I, I just have this vision now of just flipping it side by side and not not seeing ourselves as top and bottom and North and South, but really side by side. And how can we create these spaces of exchange where we all can offer what we have to offer and also receive what we have to, to receive? That's my vision.
0: <laughs> I hear the eagle condor prophecy and what you speak. And for those of you that don't know of the eagle condor prophecy, there's a prophecy that took place, I believe in the 1490s that said for 500 years, there was going to be oppression of indigenous peoples and suppression of this energy of the condor, which represents the South represents the heart. And the eagle was to take power, which is this energy of the North and the mind and then, after 500 years of oppression, which we've seen through the colonialization and the oppression of indigenous people, that there would come a time, which is now, where there'd be 500 years of the eagle and condor being able to come back together. And this is that energy of the north and the south, the head and the heart. And yeah, I'm I'm curious because you you are a example of this prophecy coming back together and i know that the work you do is extremely difficult for a lot of different reasons and so i want you to share about what it is that you do now with buena semilla and the work that you're contributing to in the south
2: yeah and i just maybe to just comment for a second on that prophecy i just love yeah it just it rings so so deeply within my heart every time i hear it and i I love visualizing Guatemala as really being, it's really in the center of the North and and the South. And for me, it makes so much sense to be right in the center. And in this space, it almost feels like the the center of a spiral. Yeah. A center point where North and South can come together. And in many ways it does. I mean, Guatemala is so affected in so many ways by the North and the North. There's just so much interaction between everything goes through Guatemala that migrates North and, Anyway, it's just such a center point that it's, I find it particularly meaningful for me to be working there within just this beautiful image of the, this prophecy. And some versions of the prophecy also speak of the quetzal bird. The quetzal bird is the national bird of Guatemala, and which represents freedom. And within a lot of mythology, in the mythology of Guatemala speaks of the quetzal bird as, being, as dying if it ever is put in a cage just this beautiful symbol for the nation of of Guatemala. And so some versions of the the prophecy see the condor and the the eagle coming together and giving birth to the Quetzal, which I really love. (laughs) This version of this, just the image of just beauty and freedom and of merging of the two wings together. Your question was, (laughs) sorry, I got distracted. (laughs)
0: No worries, I, lo- I love that you went into that because I think it's such a beautiful addition. I would love to hear about the work you're specifically doing in Guatemala with Buena Semilla and also like the intentionality you have around the work that you do because I know from our conversations that there's a seed that you're planting there but the goal is that the seed can also move into other places where there's similar situations.
2: Yeah, So my work in Guatemala, I've been working there for 13 years now, and I'd say it's the work, the woman caught me (laughs) as I was passing through, and working with women caught me, and the women's circle caught me. It wasn't part of my life plan, but mentally, but I think in my heart and in my destiny, (laughs) in a way it was planned, and that's where I found it. I had been working there for, well, I I went to Guatemala 13 years ago with the intention of working with women and making a shift in in my career. And I wasn't sure what that meant. And so I just really arrived in Guatemala and I had contacts that brought me into uh, Maya villages, Maya villages just outside of Quetzaltenango in the highlands mountains and I, I just decided to sit with women. I, I listened to 100 women the first time I went there uh, to just really understand what their stories were and what their realities were uh, around being a, just a woman and being mothers uh, or just their experiences during pregnancy and just to understand. And I was so, so touched by women there. For the first time, I felt I could spend my life just working with these one these people, <laughs> this country is just profoundly touched in many, many ways. And I ended up working with about 15 leaders, women leaders in the community. They were all working in health in some way. Some of them were midwives, other like, traditional midwives. Other ones were community health workers. And together, we, we just started listening to women's stories, or to over 300 women over the course of a few years. What really surprised me is that these leaders, these women who had lived in their communities their whole lives and many of them who'd never left them, were surprised to hear other women's stories and to realize, my gosh, these women are going through the same things as I am and some of them so much worse. And they had really never had the opportunity, despite their roles as leaders in health, working in health in some way, they had never had these spaces to listen to other women's story or a safe space to listen. And they came to me and they said, we want to do something. And the answer that came of what should we do is to come together in circle. And that's what I meant when I said the circle caught me because it wasn't anything I had ever done before, <laughs> but it just seemed really right. And so we learned together what that meant and started to try to just bring women together, starting with ourselves and start building a women's circles and putting all the ingredients within it that felt right for everyone to get out of it what they needed to get out of it as women and it's been now we started doing circles in 2013 and i'm still working with many of the same women and i cannot i do not have words for the transformations that i've seen over these years just the light that's come into their eyes, (laughs) how they hold themselves, how they speak about themselves, how they now have dreams that I can't keep up with when at the beginning of our time working together, they were scared to even dream because nothing ever happened, that they just were more just resigned uh, that their life was what it was supposed to be and they couldn't do much about it. And just seeing these women wanting to help other women and it just being exponential of rebuilding communities, rebuilding a community of women, uh, rebuilding their own communities, rebuilding their families in these contexts that have been so destroyed by conflicts, the armed conflicts strongly marked their villages not so long ago and divided families and the communities, not just divided, but fractured them. And then so many other things as well, like just gender violence, splitting women from between, you know, just dividing women. And so the impact has just been just so beautiful to watch unfolds. Yeah. As I mentioned, I'm just now trying to keep up with their dreams. <laughs> Thank you for sharing
0: that. I think it speaks to the power of, you know, like simply listening, simply having a safe space where, where people can come together and to truly hear one another and, I know you shared with me in the past about what had taken place in Guatemala through the colonialization and the violence that happened there, which I was surprised to hear was that these communities in these poor areas didn't have this strong sense of like belonging to one another. Like there was so much fracturing that took place because of the violence, because of the mistrust that they had to learn how to be able to speak to one another. I think I had this idea in my head that, you know, in poor communities they would band together. And that was a big realization, I think, that you shared with me. So maybe you could share more about that.
2: Yeah, it's a huge barrier or a huge challenge. Most women don't have friends. Very few, when you ask them who they have to turn to, They'll say their mom or they'll say their kids, but very few other people and almost no one. You know, when I said I had spoken to about 300 women, almost none of them said they had a friend. They're all very, very scared of speaking about their troubles or their problems in these very small communities. So if you share your story to someone else, very easily everyone (laughs) could hear about what you share. So women are very, very scared about sharing because of gossip, because of other people then making fun of them. And so it's a huge, a huge hurdle to overcome and within the circles. um, And it takes a good amount of time, quite a few times to meet for women to really feel that they can start talking about themselves. Often when we first started working together, we actually worked with photos. We, the women were taking photos. I gave them cameras to talk about their lives and what was important to them. And they always, it was just incredible how they needed to hear each other's stories, but the only way they could do it was to talk about other, other people, not my own story, because it was just not safe to talk about their own story. And so it was incredibly powerful using different arts methods, which is what we use a lot of, to then be able to speak about my problems, but without having to say it's my problem. So we use even theater a lot, theater of the oppressed. We use different ways that women can talk about their problems without having to say it's me. So just putting on a a scenario, you know, like this is a typical thing that happens in in my community and then having to act it out and find different solutions to it, but without having to say this is what I face in my life. So we use a lot of methods to to slowly build confidence and also uh, where women will realize, uh, start building the trust little by little where they can start realizing that this is a safe space and that these women want to start building a different kind of relationship with other women. And it's incredibly powerful because then these women have this place to go to. So when we talk
0: about You know, in the West, in the North, we can talk about women's empowerment and it looks a certain way because we have already privileges and rights and a sense of self that is not universally shared. And we talk about like the rise of the feminine and the rise of women. I think we're often naive in the sense that we're not thinking about all women. We're thinking about, you know, probably usually white women you know, that look like us, sound like us, and have careers or something. You know, it's not this universal picture of what's happening in our world. And I was extremely humbled when I went to Guatemala and I sat with these women just realizing that they don't have the freedom to go to another town if they want. They don't have the freedom to make decisions for themselves. They don't have control of their finances, you know, if they were to speak their truth, they could get badly injured. You know, there's just so many facets of oppression. And, and also, yeah, like, it's a a different understanding because of that oppression. And because of all the things that have been stripped from them, like their spirituality, and, you know, their connection and their community. And I, I really do, I really do feel that you know, that prophecy about about all of us coming together also requires women in the North to really humble themselves and to look at our privilege and to, you know, take notice of of other communities and, and what's happening there. So I really, really applaud your work because it's not easy and the amount of effort it takes also to see change and ingenuity to figure out how to get them to share and express because it's not as easy for them I'm curious about like what your personal journey has been like like has it been hard for you (laughs) to embark on this process and as a white woman coming into a coming into a community how do you how did you create a sense of safety so they could trust you
2: Yeah, oh my gosh, with what you've shared, I've had so many things come into my mind that I'd like to share, just pour out. (laughs) Yeah, it's been very challenging on so many levels and very humbling and very transformative and very... I came to these communities, first just to talk about power, no? And these things that we carry. I came to these communities as a white woman who's a physician and that gave me access that gave me access to a place that very few people have access to. Very few people in Guatemala who are not indigenous have walked into these communities or have access to. So I just wanted to name that because it's a privilege um, that we don't often realize or we take for granted. But I also was welcomed. um, I was coming in as a physician, as a researcher, uh, wanting to understand about them and their experience with physicians and researchers is not good (laughs) because researchers come in it's more extraction you know I want information from you it's going to benefit you but in the end it doesn't benefit you it benefits the researcher and their career and knowledge that ends up benefiting science but very rarely comes back and has much impact on them and so they were very very reticent to work with me and I, I met that resistance a lot at the beginning. And I kept saying, you know, I really would like this to be something that's good for you and they really didn't trust that. it. it, There was a lot of mistrust. There was a lot of, there were some communities that were very, and some women who just refused to, to speak with me, who didn't want to, didn't want to. They were scared that we might be stealing their children. A lot of, a lot of things that I met at the beginning. That were both facilitators and also obstacles and just huge challenges to overcome, and it was really through sticking it out and keep kept showing up and just stayed year after year and walked with them and sat with them and had food with them, and they put their clothes on me, they dressed me all up in their traditional clothes and laughed, and all of that just had so much to do with little by little them just we just have formed just this incredible relationship over the years. But so many things have been challenging. Even just coming in as a physician and thinking you can help, and women come to you with their children who have. They say, "My child has fright." That's the illness that the child has. Trained in the north, <laughs> what's fright? You know how, and it's an illness. It's an identifiable illness with a treatment in their perspective, their their health, their understandings and about health, and their their worldview, and. So that's just one of so many, and I was really powerless in helping them with most issues that they had. Even things like diabetes are in a place that, that does not have resources where they cannot. I was just really, really challenged as coming in of how I can really help these people. And then with issues, just the issues that I would come across of violence, uh, gender violence, the solutions are not easy. As you were mentioning, these women have nowhere to go. And the law is not with them. They, they report abuse to the law or a situation of violence. Not many people are going to support them. And it's, it's a very challenging situation. These women can't leave their communities. They can't go rent an apartment alone somewhere. Women don't do that. So it's just, I, I came across so many examples of, my gosh, we need to do something about it. And just really realizing that solutions were completely different. We really had to come up with completely different ways of, of managing the issues that I was just being faced with every day, listening to these stories, just to name a few.
0: Thank you for sharing
2: that. It really
0: is like a whole new paradigm shift to be there and to sit with their culture and also what the atrocities that have happened to their culture, because in a lot of ways they were stripped from their culture. Like when I was there, I was noticing that the women still wear their traditional clothes where the men are not allowed. And and how sad it is when really like you think of the Mayan people and you think of the force, right? You think of the ingenuity and the brilliance and the connection and the art. And it's still there. It's still there in ways. And what's happened to the people and their connection to one another and to Source has been cut. And I'm curious, like as as northerners, you know, like we weren't responsible for colonizing Guatemala individually. It wasn't our. We did we didn't do it in this lifetime, you know. But what is our responsibility to support? I know you individually feel called, and I feel called. But do we have a responsibility? And if we do, what is that?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah, I think we all have different things that we came here to do. (laughs) And there's so many things to do (laughs) on this earth that we can't all do everything. (laughs) even though so many things might move us no. But I do feel that we all have the responsibility to listen, especially us who were raised in positions of privilege and carry that because with that also comes power. And with that also comes powerlessness on the other end. And so we're all, we're all connected. And I think it is our responsibility to realize how we're connected and what we want to be part of and what we don't want to be part of. We might not realize a lot of things. It might be that we do or we use our harming others without us even knowing it. Just some very, you know, some food choices or. But then also just this so many of us want to support causes in the South or do we go to these countries and want to help or want to support initiatives that do? And I think it is a responsibility within that to start by listening, because so many of the solutions we come in with are not solutions that really work locally, or it could, they could be very harmful. Just talking about how to deal with violence, for example, No, we could be very harmful if we come in saying, oh my gosh, we have to do something about this, this woman is facing violence, and without understanding the whole context and how to deal with it could become really dangerous for everyone. Or even wanting to, when you were talking, I was thinking about the Maya cosmovision Vision and how it's something that a lot of us in the North are interested in hearing more about, and some of us are. There's a lot of resources up here in different groups that share information about the Maya cosmovision, Vision, and it's dangerous sometimes. It's a lot of women are discriminated against a lot of families are discriminated against for practicing or believing in the maya you know just following the mayan calendar even lighting a candle can be considered witchcraft a lot of things that we would think my gosh why don't we just do more of this and support them i don't think we always realize just how complicated things are or and so i think we do carry a responsibility to just really walk to tread softly and that we need to spend a lot, a lot of time just listening and letting our worlds be flipped completely upside out <laughs> and inside out and just realizing that our solutions often don't work at all in other places and we need to just start building from the ground up again and, and more as vessels and realizing what our power is and what our contribution is which is often not we think what we think it is when we go in. But how can I really be helpful in this context to help these people be who they want to be? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it does. It does make sense, and it 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 brings up, you know, how my world was flipped upside down when I got the the privilege to sit in circle with these women on Lake Atitlan, and I went. To the circle and uh, the prompt that we were all given was to draw a picture of our dream and then a sueño and then to share to share our dream amongst one another and you know we all had very similar dreams in a way like to live in harmony with the earth animals nature music like there was kind of this 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 beauty that we all shared this this real dream to just like live amongst the earth and to have the food and water that we needed and all these things. And also then there were some women there that also had like very real tangible financial needs. And so different than what I see in the West where it's like I need to make this amount of money, da 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 da. It's like I need five chickens. And that's their dream. Because to have those five chickens means financial freedom for them and they're able to have eggs and they can sell them to their neighbors and these kinds of things. And I remember sitting there with my friend Kenzie and we were like, should we just go take out money and like pay for all of their dreams to happen? You know, that's like also like my white colonial, like I can fix everything. And, and no, really it was like to sit back and listen and, and just like observe and and, so, and then support you guys because I do believe that you guys have been doing the work to listen and to observe. And, and I respect that a lot. And so I want you to share a little bit about like the structure of the circles, how it works, because I think it's really interesting um, for people who are interested about like, you know, the fact that you pay facilitators and you pay for their cell phone because, you know, these people don't have money so you have to give them something so that they can lead these circles and then um, I'd like to get into after that about your vision of these community centers and like what that would mean for these people
2: yeah maybe to start just one of the barriers or one of the challenges we have is that there's this expectation that's been internalized in a lot of well in the places I work in a lot of other places of that have been colonized and still are colonized, and that because they, I'll quote, no, because of course it's not true, but these perceptions and beliefs that are internalized, that because I'm nothing and because I'm powerless and because we need you, (laughs) there's this this expectation that organizations are going to come and give money and give food and give materials and that that's what the aid is to these communities and if you're not an organization that does that then it's hard for them to a lot of them don't want to participate there's a real they f- there's a real dependence that's been built about aid around aid and it's very hard to break with that to say well we're not here to provide you with Uh, money we're here to create spaces where you can start believing in yourself and healing your wounds individually and collectively start we reweaving the fabric of your community start believing in yourself and create yeah just it's been a real challenge to come in with that being what we're offering (laughs) we we started kind of we started small with just women who are really believing in this, and the way we've been able to build is just with women who've participated and gone through the process of being in circle. They've realized how in, how much it's impacted their lives. It's just completely transformed their lives, and so then they become. It's their project, and so then they they persuade every woman they know that they should also participate because. They become just uh, spoke-people, spoke-persons for the transformation of the power of the circle. And so it's becoming, I think, we're just gathering a lot of momentum in that way of just more and more women have participated and more and more people, women, want to participate. And the way we do it is we have circle leaders uh, that we do pay um, because these are contexts of extreme poverty. And if women are sitting with other women in circle or preparing for circles, it means they're not earning uh, their living during that day, and they live day to day. And so we pay them uh, per day of work, and so they're able to be able to hold space for other women in that way. And what was your other question?
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I just wanted you to expand upon like this greater vision, and and maybe we could talk too about you know the the trauma you know, the very real trauma that's ingrained and it's keeping them from connecting with one another, which is one of the things you work on through creating connection through sisterhood and sharing their voices. And there's still so much unprocessed trauma. And so your dream of these community centers and kind of what they're like and what the dream is for that.
2: Yeah, so there is so much unprocessed trauma and so much internalized for hundreds of years and more than five hundred years because some of these, like the Mam ethnicity, uh, Mayan ethnicity in Guatemala, was um, was under the Quiche, for example. There was like power. There was struggles between them, and so some of them, like the Mam, have forever been uh, oppressed uh, even before the colonization. And so it's incredibly challenging to overnight <laughs> have leaders, no? Women who, who say, This is, I am now a woman's leader, a circle leader, and able to, to just hold circle. And it takes a, a long, long time uh, to be working together for women to start realizing the power they have inside of themselves and how much they actually you know this whole concept of feminine leadership <laughs> that no <laughs> you don't need to learn anything you have it inside of you like it's so hard to deconstruct i think everywhere but in these contexts it's i've been working with these women for 13 years now and it's still just a work in progress no of just you have so much power inside of you like you can do this <laughs> You don't need us to tell you, you know, how to do anything, <laughs> um, and for them to really trust that and go with it is is just a huge, huge, huge celebration with them. And so there's so much built-in trauma, and I think there's no better place to heal that than within these circles of women seeing each other and seeing the power that is there, and being able to reflect it to one another, and challenging each other to overcome these things. And you see someone who's got it worth, worse than you, and they're, they've they overcome it. <laughs> it gives so much power to you, so much inspiration. And so, yeah, the, I was mentioning, you know, that when we, I first started working with these women, Their dreams, they were having a lot of trouble just mentioning their dreams or they would hear each other's dreams and they would say, oh, just listening to your dream makes me think, actually, my dream is a little bit bigger than what I said it was. Actually, my dream is this. And they would inspire each other to, I'm allowed to dream and what, what really is there in my heart and how far can I reach? And. Every year that I've been with them, I just notice their dreams expanding and expanding and also taking root. And I have to say that these last two years have been incredible in witnessing this. Um, This year, one of our leaders had a dream of building a house, (laughs) a place that could house. She wanted to do it to address the issue of gender violence and their communities having a place where women could go find shelter because there's nowhere they can go and like women who escape violence in their homes sometimes they'll just spend the night in a field no in the ma'i in the, the corn field or they just don't have anywhere to go and so anyway that was her vision to create a space a place where women could go and where they could find support um, and be And then she decided, and they decided together, all the leaders together, that they would actually call it Casa Alegria, the House of Joy, because they didn't want to focus on the bad, you know, they didn't want these women to be victims, they wanted to highlight just what they really had in their heart and what they were capable of. And so they decided to flip it upside down and just speak about life and not about death and speak about the life that was possible and the flourishing that was possible. And so that's their dream for this year, to have a physical place where women can come, where they can share, where they can learn from one another, where can they, they can hold a circle, where they can come and all weave together, embroider together, learn from one another, or learn how to plant medicinal <laughs> medicinal herbs or vegetables. Just a place to do it all, Every all of their dreams. And it's incredible just witnessing them really owning owning their power and putting feet on it <laughs> and running with it. You're such a beautiful
0: steward of of Buena Samia because I imagine even it's hard to like not want to be like, well this is my idea. I have this idea for this other thing, right? Like but you you let it marinate in a way where they became empowered enough to dream the dream that would ultimately Be the solution, the healing bomb for their community because they know it so well. It is them, you know? And what a beautiful thing. Like what they created is (laughs)
2: amazing. And it's something that, like, we couldn't have done. And the beautiful thing is, it's something that us as a team, like our central team, it's been our vision to have a community center. It's been like, what is our ultimate thing that we'd want? And it was like, okay. We'd wanna—that's what we'd want to have—is a place where, in each community, there could be a space of exchange. Of it. So we—we we were seeing it in the future, but we didn't. What's beautiful is that they're the ones who actually spoke it; that it came from them. But that we're all in—also, it's just a, a vision. It's a collective vision. I think it's a world vision. no, of all having a place where we can go and. And just be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want to go there. I want to go there and learn how to plant things and sit in women's circles and do that work, too. I think, you know, it's like we we say privilege, you know, we say this term for like having money or having a certain skin color or something like this. And yes, there's there's privilege in that. But I have a I have a teacher, Quanita Robertson, and she says it's not a privilege to be disconnected from your heart. And so, that's the real, the real dream. So, share with us about what you're doing for this, for this house, Casa Alegría, and yeah, what you're bringing forth so women can support.
2: Yeah, so we're we're currently running a campaign uh, during International Women's Month to support this dream that we're hoping to bring into being in two communities just to get started in the two areas where we work in Guatemala, in Mam Maya area outside of Quetzaltenango and in Santiago Atitlan, which is Tzutuil Maya. And so we're accepting donations currently through to the end of the month and, of course, on an ongoing basis. And then we're really, we've decided to to really put into, yeah, just start flying with this vision we have of bringing the North and the South together in circle. And so we are also putting together an offering to invite women of the North to imagine they're boy- their traveling down to Guatemala with me <laughs> and meeting these beautiful women and just listening to their stories and their hearts and their struggles And what it means to them to be Maya woman or a Tzutuhil Maya woman or just a woman. And just seeding the space of exchange and opening to the world to see what can happen when we we do open up these spaces of of reciprocity and of listening and of just letting ourselves dream what could be when we all come together. And that will be starting on next Tuesday, the
0: 15th. Woo-hoo, the fifteenth of March. So you can learn more about our campaign. We're going to post it on our website, time of underneath this interview. And then you can also go to our website, which is buena B U E N A dash, Samia, S E M I L L A, dot org. And we'll have also links in the show notes for you to be able to find more about the work that Buena Semilla is doing. You can watch their video, which is beautiful. You can see their beautiful website and the colorful outfits of the women that are just so sweet and so full of love. It really is such a beautiful organization and something that's really close to my heart.
2: And anyone who's (laughs) wishing to come down and sit in circle with these women is more than welcome to these it's so beautiful when any of you can join us and join them and it's incredible. And these women love it. They just they just get so much out of meeting. They they love meeting you, Shana, and they still ask about you. <laughs> you can't you
0: can't see it right now, but my altar, which is like kinda of to the left of me right now has one of the weavings that they gifted Kenzie and I when we went. And so it's like a very important part of my altar. And I think of them when I sit there. So I'm really grateful for that experience.
2: (laughs) So I have... Yeah, they're incredible artists. Beautiful,
0: beautiful, so talented. They're
2: just such amazing women for me. It's just like how, how can I share them with the world and their magic and their medicine and their beauty and... How can, <laughs> it's just such a powerful country mm. that I think if you step down there, it's just, for me, it was like, um, I don't have words for it, but I, yeah, like one of these tornadoes that pulls you in and just, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. you walk out on the other side, completely transformed <laughs> <laughs> asking what, what just happened Aww. to me?
0: <laughs> so I have one last question for you, Anne-Marie. And if you just want to take a moment and close your eyes and take a deep breath, and if the voice of the Divine Mother were to speak through you, what would she have you say?
2: Let's all just come into this circle together and learn how to dance and sing and create a, just a different world together. Come.
0: <laughs> Beautiful.
2: Thank you so much for
0: being here, Anne Marie. It was really good to chat with you today and you're just such a dear one to me also so just sending you a lot of love
1: up to northern california
2: so much back yeah. to you shayna mm-hmm.
1: thank you for tuning in to another episode of the time of the feminine podcast and if you'd like to learn more about the global sisterhood you can follow us on instagram at the global sisterhood or you can tune in to one of our programs just go to globalsisterhood.org It is such a privilege and such an honor to speak with all these amazing women and to continue to speak with you. If you would like to join one of our circles or programs and dive in deeper and have these conversations yourself with us, we would love to invite you in deeper, sister. So just go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more. Okay, talk to you
2: next time.